Welcome to episode 66 of Breaking Atoms, where we break things down to the very last compound. I am your co-host, Chris Mitchell, a.k.a. The Professional Pessimist. And before I go any further, I just want to shout out my co-host, Sumit. Uh, I assure you that there is no beef. He's not been on a few of the episodes recently, but he's just in the upside down, taking care of business, handling some family stuff, and he'll be back soon. Even if there was a beef, he would not be ready for my 2020 rendition of Hit Em Up. Once again, I want to thank everyone who's tuned into previous episodes of the podcast. Episode 65, we had A1 from A1 and Phonics, and the feedback was very encouraging. Um, Big up to A1 for coming through and talking with us about hip-hop, music, politics, and all that good stuff. This week, we have another special guest. He is one of the most legendary producers in the independent hip-hop game. He's made some really important contributions to the late 90s indie boom with songs produced for Master Ace, Elder Sensei, Count Bass D, and many more. He also contributed to the neo-soul movement, producing tracks for Aloe Black, Eric Robeson, and Dudley Perkins. He produced songs like, um, Brown Skin Lady, Where Are You Going? He also produced, uh, Far Away From Me, You Know I Miss You When You're Far Away From Me. He's a producer, obviously, DJ, educator, He's a public speaker, lecturer, husband, father, and his music plays a very important role in the soundtrack of the relationship I have with my wife. His name is Jay Rawls, and we had a really insightful talk about music and education, and you're going to get to hear it right after the break. Hey, yo, we about to tear it up. And, 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 yo. Break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. Jay Rose, how are you doing, sir? Yo, Chris, I appreciate it, man. I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm. I can't. I don't even know how to how to come in after that intro, man. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's an honor. Um, I'm very much um, part of the the hip hop generation that tends to look back before before mm-hmm. going forward. Um, and like I said, man, your music has very much been a part of of my uh, my hip hop journey for the last twenty years. So I just want to big you up. Um, I want to say. I want to say thank you. And um, yeah, your, your music always stays in rotation. I appreciate that, man. You know, we, we just, we make music for that, that's timeless. You know, I want it, I want it to be timeless. I want it to be something you can put in 20 years from now and be like, yeah, and, and take you back to that time and give you that good feeling, you know? Absolutely. You've definitely, you've definitely achieved that. Mama Bravo, before we go any further, um, it's been said that we're living in unprecedented times. Yes. If you had told me um, in January 2020 that we would be knee-deep in a pandemic, uh, Black Lives Matter would have hit a crescendo. I would have looked at you like you were crazy. I just want to check in with you. And um, I want to ask you, how has lockdown been for you? Um, it's, actually, it's actually been, you know, okay. It hasn't, it hasn't really disrupted my flow because I'm an educator. So everything that you know, I go to the schools to do, I can still do at home. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, you know, musically, I mean, I do that at home too. So it really didn't disrupt uh, me or my family too bad. So we're, we're kind of lucky, um, to be honest with you, very blessed. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it, it also like gave us time, like for, for my wife and my kids to, you know, we, we did a lot more together. We played some games, you know, we, we have, you know, more talks, that kind of thing. My kids are older, man, 21, 16, and 14. So, 
you know, they're not little babies anymore. So we, we've got some time to bond. So, so I was going to ask you, what is it you've learned in the lockdown that you can do without and do for yourself now? Uh, I don't know. Cause like I said, everything's pretty much the same. You know, uh, I can't do without my music. I can't, I, I probably, you know what? It's funny that this is going to, people going to be like, what? Really? But I, I couldn't go to record stores for about three, three months almost, you know, and I didn't miss it because I've got so many records and I've got so many records that I haven't been through yet. It gave me a chance to get through some of those records. So I was able to listen to some 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 records that I had bought and hadn't hadn't, you know, hadn't touched yet because I keep going and buying new records. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I think that's one of the uh, the plights of producers. You, you guys buy so many records. Oh, man. Let's go back to the beginning. What was life like for you growing up in Columbus, Ohio, from home to school to family? Columbus is, is I always say, and that's why I'm here, you know, raising my kids. It is, it's a good place to raise kids. It was a good place to grow up. Um, you know, we've got our issues, but it's not, it's not like a New York or a LA with, you know, in terms of fast pace. Um, and then it's not super small either. So, um, you know, everything, everything is still pretty, um, uh, I think it's just easy to manage, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. So t- for me, you know, it was good family wise, um, growing up education, everything was, was kind of slow motion and I was able to learn stuff and do stuff at my own pace. So that was, you know, that was my thing. Dope, dope. On the cover of, uh, the hip hop effect. Um, shout out yes. to Nature Sounds, one of my favorite labels. But on the yeah. cover, there's a picture of you next to vinyl player um, and some music equipment. What music can you remember hearing from those days, and what were some of your favorites? Man, you know it's funny you mention that. I actually just um, uh, last Sunday, every Sunday night at six o'clock, I do a, a thing called Live at Home, where I spend during the quarantine. And I've just been playing music. So last Sunday, I played everything that I remember hearing in my dad's basement. And it's all from, from that cover, you know, the hip hop effect. Um, things like uh, LTD, Holding On, Frankie Beverly and Mays, uh, Temptations, uh, you know, just, he had a, he played a little bit of everything. Um, Thelonious Monk, he played, you know, Grover Washington, Roy Ayers. And, and that's, that was the backdrop of me growing up, along with, you know, some Richard Pryor, or some moms, maybe, you know, they would make us kids stay upstairs and they would play those records, but we could hear them through the vents. We were still sitting there listening. When did you start making beats for the first time? And what was the, the track that, that, what was the track that you heard and thought, you know what, I want to be a producer? Mm. You know, I don't know if there was an actual track that made me want to be a producer. Um, the story of me making beats, it started with um, me being a beatboxer. So in my crew, um, I, I was the beatboxer. Uh, my dude, Buka, he was the DJ. Um, Dwayne, Hakeem, um, they rapped. And then um, Jermaine and me, we beatboxed. So I was always the beat guy. I was the beat guy. I did it. And then just as we grew up, you know, some cats fell off, some cats. So it ended up being just me, Buka, and Dwayne. And, um, and I ended up just like the beats, the music was just calling me. I think it was the samples, you know, just... The first sample that I can really remember me and Buka finding in my dad's crates that we realized, oh, wait a minute, they're using old music. It was um, Jungle Boogie, EPMD, 
you got to chill. They use that that cool in the game, that jungle boogie. And we found that and we went nuts. And what we ended up doing was just going through the records the whole night. He was spending the night at my house. We was little kids. We were little kids doing it. That was the wife. You come in if you want. We was little kids just doing what we do. And um, and we ended up staying up the whole night going through his records, listening and, and looking for samples. And we really didn't quite know. And this is like 87, 88. Right. So we're just seventh grade, eighth graders, you know, don't really know what we're doing, but we know it feels good. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where it came from. And 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 then I'd say early 90s, I started like tinkering on the uh, Insonic EPS 16 plus um, messing around with a couple of drum machines, that kind of thing, but not really taking it serious. I, and, and I started rapping at the same time. So in the group, I was rapping and I was putting samples together and we was, you know, and we didn't have any equipment. So if we had something, we would borrow somebody's or we would go over to their studio. So what we ended up doing was Buka, who was the DJ, he would um, just back to back. So our samples, our, our beats, our backdrops was just him back to backing. And that's how we did our songs. Our early songs in 89, 90, 91, that was how we did it. And, you know, it, it came from that. And then that's where I started digging for drums and digging for 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 um, sounds and stuff that had like a, a, a drum beat that we could rap to. Mr. Rawls, he referred to Buka, which is the name of his label, or the label you and um, the Lone Catalyst released a lot of your music. So it, Buka stands for Brothers United Keeping It Official. Am I correct? Yeah, that's that's what it was for because um, Buka had been locked down. So um, me and me and Jay Sands met through Buka, so um, that was our way of, of paying homage and showing love. So that's that's how that happened. And that's where that name, uh, you know, that's how we we got the name. And then we made the acronym uh, Well, Jermaine made the acronym. But yeah, that, that's where it came from. But um, yeah, that's it. Who are some of the producers that influence you and your early sound? I know you've given us a glimpse with the Liquid Crystal projects um, and the tributes you do. Um, but for the yeah. benefit of our listeners, who, who are some of those guys that you you look to? And when you see their names in the credits, you're like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I'll, I'll, it was you know your your, um, like the the when I really first started getting into it, it's probably Pete Rock, main ingredient. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Mecca and the Soul Brother, '92, Mecca and the Soul Brother, and then um, uh, uh, Q-Tip. Q-Tip really, Q-Tip kind of really just changed everything for me. Just that was for me the Quintus. He's probably. I mean, the one for me, and, and most people don't even know he produced like that, but his beats always did it for me. And of course, uh, Extra P and Diamond D was also like a, like the whole, you know, the whole digging in the crates. I mean, but production wise is, you know, Showbiz and Diamond D just, that was, that was our thing. Like when we heard them, that's the kind of beats. Like to me, all hip hop should sound like that. That's everything should sound like that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, I love when um people mention digging in the crates because OC is my favorite MC. If an alien came from space and said to me, "Listen, I don't know what hip hop sounds like. I need you to play it for me." I prob I would probably reach for a DITC record, one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would do. It. And that would do it. Lord finesse, you know, any of that, any of that, will let you be. You be like, oh, that's okay. That's hip hop. Definitely, definitely. As an MC. I have a list of songs that I wish I had written. 
right? So examples include, you mentioned Pete Rock and CL Smooth. I think Troy is probably one of the greatest uh, songs of all time and it's one of the best written songs of all time. Um, yeah. Another song is The Message um, by Dr. Dre, which was written by Royce. I think that's like a perfect record. What are mm. some of the beats you listen to and you think, I wish I could, I wish I made that? Several high-tech beats, probably. <laughs> high-tech, you know, um, like when I met him in Cincinnati, he was 16. And he was probably one of the dopest producers that I had heard at that time, at 16. He was incredible. He, I mean, you knew he was a prodigy. It's probably the same as like when, when Tip heard Dilla. It was like, okay, you know he's a prodigy. You just... It's just something about how they make music. You know they're a prodigy. This is what they're supposed to do. Um, so, I mean, like when I hear Come Down, the Anderson Pack joint, that's one of my favorite. That's just ridiculous. Like, wow. Like, you know what I mean? It's just that that's the type of beat. But, you know, there there's probably a ton of those kind of beats, man. I can't think off the top. Any, um, you know what? Probably like a, um, a One Love, Q-Tip. That that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to think of something that I might have had to sample for that I before it came out, but I can't think of anything off the top, man. But honestly, just anything by any of those producers, man, that keep me keep me going. You know what I mean? I hear you. No, I hear you. When I think of um Columbus, Ohio and your hip hop scene, you you come to mind obviously, but I think of guys like uh, Blueprint. Um mm -hmm. I love Blueprint. Shout out to Blueprint, copyright. Shout out. Yeah, print. Yeah, God. who are some of the artists from the early Columbus scene that helped to shape the scene, and what are some of those seminal classic releases in Ohio that you know many of us may not be aware of? Yeah, I mean, I try to, I try to, 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 to give back and pull those dudes in. So I don't know if you um, recall from the hip hop effect, but the group Spirit, Spirit is the group that that kind of begot all of us. Uh, copyright, Blueprint, all of them, all of us watched Spirit while we were growing up. Gotcha. Illogic, all of us. You know, the whole, anybody you could say from Columbus, we watched Spirit. So, Necessary, uh, uh, Malik, Creamy Dark, Riz, Storm, those dudes was doing it. They were putting their own shows. They, they're, my first talent show that I ever did, they put on. You see what I'm saying? So, like, the first time I ever got on stage, they were the ones who did the show. So that's how far advanced they were. They were, you know, I learned from them what, what a performance should look like, what, what a show should look like, what it should be. So um, Spirit is who I'm going to say. There were several others, Construction 360. There were a lot of groups here, but Spirit is definitely that group. And that's why, you know, if, if you look them up, it's S period, P period, I period, R period. Um, I period T. If you look them up, most of the stuff that they put out, I've helped put out because they're just that incredible. So yeah, definitely look them up. They got a few other songs out that's incredible. Let's fast forward to uh, 1998. I, I know you probably get asked about this song a lot, but um, it's a song that grows with me over the years. And it's <clears throat> Brown Skin Lady from the Black Star yes. album. I feel that the meaning and the sentiment behind this song just continues to grow. And it really hits now, particularly in what I'm, I'm going to call the Black Renaissance or another Black Renaissance. Yeah, something's going on, ain't it? This is, this is an interesting time. 
I mean, so many changes are happening. It's like unbelievable. It's almost a little scary. Like, wait a minute. Y'all like black people now? <laughs> you know what? It's, um, it's definitely, I was saying to someone, I don't think we'll see the full effects of it in our lifetime. Um, I feel that we're very much a part of the what I call the beneficiary generation. So our parents and our grandparents sacrificed for us. Mm. Now we're mm. going to have to sacrifice for our kids and get that okay. wheel in, and get that wheel in motion. So whilst we may not see the the full outcome, it definitely feels like a blessing, as scary as it is to know that we're alive to actually see something. It feels different. Yeah. Um, okay, it does. It really does. It, it feels different, and um. You know, when we talk about black people and, you know, protecting black women in particular, Brown Skin Lady, for me, is yeah. just one of those songs that really captured the, 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 the beautiful nature of black women in particular. How do you feel about that song 22 years later? Like, what does it mean to you now? And just give us a bit of a background as to, you know, how, how did that song come about? Wow, it's 22 years, huh? Um, you know, it's kind of like, to be real honest with you, man, it's this is what I'm talking about, timeless music. I mean, you'll be able to play a song like Brown Skin Lady for your grandkids. You know, that that's the kind of music that I'm trying to make. Um, so it, it to me, it, it was intentional. When when I made the music, I, I felt good about it. Um, and, and I think most and Kwa felt that feeling. They felt that same vibe. And I remember, um, you know, I got a call when after I had given them the beat tape and um and, and Kwali had most on there and he and he was singing Brown Skin Lady the hook over the beat and they was like, yo, this is the one we want. We need you to program it and get it out here, send it to us so we can write. And I was like, Whoa, that's it right there, Brown Skin Lady. Cause nobody had made a song like that. I mean, not that I had known of. Nobody ever, you know, talked about um, you know, our, our women of color. So that for me was kind of like, wow. Um, and I think that something like that is is important. Um, and I think it, it stands the test of time because it's so real and so true. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just like a uh, like something we doing, you know, sex or, you know, pussy and this and that. We're not. No, this is this is something that is 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 well thought, well thought out. And, and it means something to people and and not just to to men but to women I, I find a lot of women who that is they that song it gives them empowerment it makes them feel good and and i love being a part of that it's everything to me yeah yeah it's one of those i think it's one of those records I, my niece and nephew they're 10 years mm-hmm. old and I, i'm thinking as the hip-hop uncle what are the songs i'm going to play for them when yeah. they're a bit older and i think brown skin ladies definitely going to be on that playlist i am a huge Kwali fan. Um, yeah. I often say, you know, my MC DNA, um, if there's three people that I kind of emulate in some ways and look up to, it's going to be Kwali, Common, Most Def. If we stay with Black Star, I think you have a, 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 an amazing chemistry with Talib Kwali. You've done a mm-hmm. number of songs together. And the fan in me wants to know, why haven't we got a full-length project from you and Kwali? That's the first question. And uh-huh. two, has it ever been discussed? Well, number one, it's never even been a thought. I don't, I don't know if Kwali quite sees that. Um, I feel you. I, I agree. But um, Kwali is one of my favorite MCs. See, the thing is, he, when he, when I first heard him, 
nobody was really rapping like how he was. Revolutionist, that kind of, you know, black power movement. People weren't really on it like that. Um, and this is 95, 96. Like, it wasn't really, he wasn't, nobody was doing that. Um, so nobody in Cincinnati. And he was coming to Cincinnati to work with, with high tech. And that's how I was like, whoa. And mood and, and that whole click. So our whole one of battle crew started emulating and started doing that. So Kwali for me is one of my favorite artists as well. One of my favorite MCs. Um, it's never been discussed. I don't even think it, it's been thought of, but I mean, I would definitely be into it. I don't know. Interview Kwali and ask him, see if he'd be down. I, I'd do it. It's just, I was listening to uh, obviously Black Star, um, the song you guys did, Lone Catalyst, the stuff that you yeah. did on the essence of J. Rawls. And I was like, hmm, why, like, I wonder if this has been discussed, but it's, it's just a hip hop nerd in me, so I had to ask the question. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I never thought of it like that, but I would, oh, that'd be something incredible, I think. I think it would be dope. You are a part of a number of duos. So 3582, yeah. JR with, um, so 3582 is with Fat John. Um, yes. JR is with John Robinson, and Lone Catalyst is with Jay Sands. Yeah. Different styles, both from a personality perspective and from an MC perspective. Um, what I'd like to know is what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from partnering up with these different MCs? Well, one thing I've learned is, um, I like, I, I like doing projects. I did one with Declaim. I did one with Middle Child. I like working one-on-one with artists. Um, it's, it's more intimate. We get to, you know, the casual album, you know, I, I got to change up my style a little bit and, and come a little bit more grittier. But it's but that's that's kind of like what it is for me. Um, I like to to personalize those projects, and that's one of the things I've learned from those lessons of working with people. Like if I'm doing a project with somebody, like the Nova project, that's one of my favorites. And P Black, those are two Columbus artists. And if you're not hip, go to you know go to J Raw's Bandcamp, Polar Entertainment Bandcamp. But the Nova and the P Black album are quintessential J Raw's projects with young newer artists that are incredible and it's like their personalities the music fits them everything fits them and i think that's that's the lesson i've learned like you know to to it it allows me to give a piece of myself that i may not have known was there from doing the knowledge to dropping the science um education is an ongoing theme in hip-hop culture whether it's over or it's subtle, we're always giving information and talking to each other through the music. So yes. someone like yourself, you are a, a doctor, but correct? PhD? Correct. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually, that's, that's pretty huge actually. Um, as someone who's ascended in, in, in academia, how has hip hop helped you in your own learning, whether that be through life or in a lecture room? Yo, hip hop, hip hop is everything because hip hop is a culture, which is a way of life. I learn everything through through hip hop. I mean, that's it's my being. It's who I am. You know, the way I walk, the way I talk, I'll be like, what up? You know, I, that's how I am. I'm like, yo, what up, what up? That kind of thing. It's, I'm a hip hop dude. And, um, you know, so everything that I've done, everything that I've, I've, I've learned uh, and how I learn, I learned that way. So that's why I think I was very blessed that I could do my dissertation about hip hop education and bringing hip hop culture into the fold. Because I think it's important. There, I, you know, I'm not the only kid that, you know, only person that grew up like that as a kid. And these kids today are still growing up like that as kids. So it doesn't make sense that we try to, 
you know, take the hip hop out of the school. You know, when they walk into school, we tell them not to be who they are. You know, don't be, don't be hip hop. Don't be this. Don't be that. You're supposed to sit in your desk, sit up straight and you're going to learn. And then when you go home, you can do all that hip hop, bibbidi bop, bop, bop. You can do all that. And that, that doesn't make any sense. So we're telling you not to be you when you come to learn. It don't make sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because someone like myself um, in the corporate world, I find that over the years I've had to leave that hip hop side of me at the door. Yeah. And I yeah. always felt like I wasn't being my true self. Yeah, me too. Work. I had to do it too. Yeah. So, so someone like myself, I work in marketing and I'm, you know, I'm a creative guy naturally and be working in marketing, you've got to be creative. So yes. unfortunately, some of my managers didn't know that my best hip hop, my sorry, my best ideas came from hip hop songs. Wow! Um, I remember we did a recruitment campaign and we had someone's face shadowed out, and it said "you." They didn't know that came from uh, Capone and Noriega's War Report inlay card, where they had the shadow and it said "traitor." Wow! Um, so that inspired that idea. So it's um, it's really interesting that you're talking about bringing hip hop into the classroom because it's oftentimes you know you, people, students, or managers they have no problem saying you know. Um, I listen to opera music or I went to the theatre on Saturday. Yeah, but I'm yeah, hiding exactly. the fact that I went to the jazz cafe on Saturday because it might be frowned upon. So no, I think it's dope that you're actually doing that same, bringing, essentially bring your, bring your whole self to the classroom. I think that's really dope. I think that's really Thank dope. you. Thank you. And, and that's the work. That's what we're working on right now. And, and that's, you know, when we say the work in hip hop ed, that's the work right there is trying to get, bring that to the forefront so that that's, no longer an, a, a big deal in education. Like, it's almost normal. Like, yeah, you're supposed to be, be hip-hop. You know, be yourself. That's fine. So statues are getting pulled down. Um, it's, it's yeah. Um, yeah, these statues are going um, here in the UK. Statues are getting pulled down and thrown in rivers and all sorts. And it's... Um, yeah. it's here it, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brought up a debate about what we've been taught in schools in regards to history. Um, over okay. here, we're looking at the British Empire and oftentimes what's been happening is that they just talk about how great it was. And some of us are looking back and thinking, no, nah, it wasn't that great. Um, <clears throat> the omission of history in certain places is, a, is an issue. And we're saying that the British Empire and its history needs to be taught in totality. As an educator and as someone who's in the classroom, what are some of the subjects you think need to be taught or expanded upon in the curriculums? Mm. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, geez, I had never thought of it like that, but it definitely, that's, it's never taught in totality. History is always skewed um, in the vision of the author. So whoever's writing the book, whatever their values are, whatever they believe, whatever they feel, that's what you get in the book. Um, rarely is, is history um, non-biased because it's written by a person. And, and, and one thing that I always try to talk about um, is hey rocks <laughs> how are you i'm good oh it's so nice to see your face again oh. nice to see you i'm loving your sets at the moment they're killing it they're the best thank you i appreciate you guys okay my fault i guess you have to edit that out but um no but seriously the um you know i, I think that a lot of times people they kind of take out the the I don't know. What's the best way to put it? I don't know. I don't know how I want to say it, but... As a second-generation West Indian kid... Okay, in, in tell the, me what they live about. In, in the UK, oftentimes, when they talk about black history, they start and end at slavery. So, uh, if it wasn't... So nothing after. Nothing after or nothing before. Nothing before. Because, um, you know, I have to rely on hip-hop music. So, 
if it wasn't for uh, Mo Steph, I wouldn't have known that rock and roll was created by black people. Oh, okay, I got you. Britain will talk about how they abolished the, the slave trade and they'll want a pat on the back and a round of applause. Um, and little do most people know is that we've been compensating <laughs> the slave traders up until 2015. They don't teach that part. Right. And they also don't teach that they started slavery. They want to pat on the back, but you started it. You started doing it. You was the ones that started it. I mean, I guess I guess for me, and 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 I'm as I sit and think and, and think a little bit more about your question, I think that I think the the part is what I was trying to get at when when it when I say that it's bias. There's a thing called implicit bias. And I think that's the thing that implicit bias is is how you as a person, and, and we all have them. Um, like if somebody says, oh, okay, um, oh, well, he's Jewish, so he must be good with money. He must be rich. He must, you know, that kind of thing. That's an implicit bias. And I think until we talk about that, get it out, get it done with, and, and, and admit that we have them, those things will all, this stuff isn't going to go away. You know, the sad part is, like you said, they don't talk about the what happened before and what happened after but really and truly man they don't even most of of the stuff is swept under the rug like just you know i'll be honest with you you talk about a christopher columbus i live in columbus ohio so now the mayor just went across my phone that the mayor said oh we're going to take down the statue in front of the court in front of city hall of christopher columbus and the thing is it wasn't until I was an adult that I even realized some of the things that, you know, when the Spaniards came over, the things they did to the to the Native Americans, because that's not taught in the history book. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, you don't learn that in school. They kind of eh, gloss over all of that. So that I guess that's the thing I would I would just teach the truth. Like, yo, here's what happened. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily about picking a side or just picking the good bits and leaving the bad bits out. Let's, here's the whole picture. Here's the information. Yeah. Do, with, do, with, do, with, do what you will with the information. I think that's where I right. stand on it. That's a good point. Yeah. That's where I stand on it. So you recently released a book. We're going to stay in the classroom. Uh, Youth okay. Culture Power. And it's yes. described as a hip-hop ed guide to building student-teacher relationships and increasing student engagement. Why did you decide to write a book now? Because um, less people read. Everything is a meme or a gif. That's why. Because people need to read. You see what I'm saying? Um, I think for me, it, it and it kind of, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because that's what the book talks about. It talks about not, um, because a lot of educators look at those things, the memes and the gifts as, as being um, unintelligent. And we kind of compare that to um, Egyptian hieroglyphs, it, you know, pictures of uh, communication. They've managed to, to shorten down communication you know, and can speak and do things much faster than we can. And I think it's like, yo, let's learn from that. Let's use that in, in education instead of saying, oh, this is a bad thing. Um, so, yeah, we, we wrote the book for, for reasons like that, basically for educators. Um, and educators do read, you know, this book is really for adults. Um, any adults that, that work and deal with uh, students or kids or children, uh, coaches, um, community centers. And, and as we've been going through everything we've been going through, a lot of our, our um, tenants actually would work for police. Just anybody. The book also details what you call the, the care model, C-A-R-E. Can you explain mm -hmm. for our listeners what 
is the care model and what are the main benefits? Sure, most definitely. Care just basically talks about, so you take each letter of each word, right? So care talks about um, like culture, right? So when you're working with anybody, I'll, 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 I won't just keep it in the context of kids. I'm going to keep it in the context of anybody so anybody can use this. If you're working with anybody, you should embrace their culture, right? So if I'm going to go um, and work in uh, rural Kentucky or rural Ohio, I'm going to learn um, a little bit about country music. I'm going to learn, uh, I'm going to know like what's up with, say, I'll go to deal with some kids and I find out that they're into skateboarding then I need to know something about skateboarding, at least enough to appreciate their culture, right? And, and that is the, the first tenet, right? And then the next one is affable, right? So affable basically just means to be pleasant. A lot of times when you deal with people, you see people, they, they have a bad attitude, they do whatever. Now, I'm not saying that you're always gonna be in a good mood, but what we're talking about is creating an affable environment. If you're gonna do something, if you're gonna be a coach, uh, a police officer or whatever, you, you approach somebody with aff affability more so than disdain or looking down on them or that kind of thing, you're going to get better results. Does that make sense? The next thing is, is about relationships, right? Positive relationships. Um, to me, everything's relational. It doesn't matter what you do, who you do it with. Um, when you go to your job, you build relationships and you network. When I go teach, I build relationships and I network. If I go out and do a show and I'm doing a concert, I want to have good, positive relationships with my fans. It doesn't make sense when people try to do stuff, uh, policing, education. You know, if you're going to be a teacher, why would you not build relationships with your students? So that's one thing that we say. And then the last thing is a word that we um, use is called egalitarian. So what that is, is a way of, of governing really is, is where it comes from. So it's not a democracy. It's not an autocracy. It is egalitarian is when you say, okay, my subjects, or, you know, if I'm the, the, the boss or if I'm in the classroom or if I'm the police officer, my subjects, the people that I'm working with, or I'm, I don't know, power, however you see it, if you treat them with an egalitarian um, uh, style, then what you're saying is their, their political views, their thoughts, you treat them as equal. That's what it means. And what that allows is, is for them to have a voice. So whether if you're a teacher and you're using egalitarian styles in your classroom, you allow for student voice. If you're a police officer and you're working with the community, you allow your community to have a voice. And what that does is it gives the people that you're governing, the people that you're over, it gives them fair say, it gives them a chance to speak their mind, and it also allows them to feel like they're a part of what you're doing. So if you're in a classroom and you allow that, you, you do those three things. You allow the culture, affable, uh, relationships, and egalitarian, it's care, C-A-R-E. And that's the bottom line. You got to care. You just got to give a damn. If you're a teacher, you got to give a damn. If you're a cop, you got to give a damn. If you don't care and you're trying to police somebody, they're going to know it and they're going to tell it. And, and as you see what's happening in America, it's, it's only going to last so long. I've seen classrooms get like that, too, because it only lasts so long. 
people people will revolt. People will rebel. Things will change. So you better be on the right side. <laughs> so that's why I say care, man. You turn the podcast into a pulpit. Sounds like you're going to have to run for office at some point. No, no, thank you. Oh, goodness, no. But yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of our thoughts, man. We are, we're really passionate about what we do. And, um, and, and all of this has come from us, um, our experiences, you know? I'm going to have to be the hip hop geek now. Uh, you mentioned before in one of my answers, you talked about Egyptian hieroglyphs. I am, well, I'm, I am a leaf of the branch of the hieroglyphics tree. Mm. Now, you're not alone. <laughs> oh, man, listen, listen to me, right? As someone who grew up in, in, in a church household, it wasn't really hip-hop. There wasn't much hip-hop going on. Right. Wu-Tang is my favorite group of all time. But in terms of seeing people in the culture who looked like me or who were like my friends, it's native tongues and it's hieroglyphics. You did an album with Casual, one of the greatest MCs on planet Earth as far as I'm concerned, in 2012. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about having to uh, produce for Casual and personalise the track. Yeah. I noticed with that album, it was a lot more gritty and it had a bit yeah. of edge on it. Um, and that's not to say yeah. your music doesn't have an edge, but you know, tracks like Emergency with, with yeah. Curious, it's like it's, it just gives you that screw face. What was it about Casual that made you think, you know what, I'm going to have to get into my, my gritty bag? Casual has always been one of my favorite MCs, and, and I always like um, his wordplay. You know, so when I had met him, I had a chance to do a, a song on his He Think He Raw album. I did You Ain't Gotta Lie, um, and he really liked that. And, and, and uh, I had sampled like the uh, Ice Cube, the Friday movie. And, you know, we, we was just building it. He was like, let's, let's work. I was like, man, you ain't said nothing but a word. He's one of my favorite MCs. Um, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that grew up on hip hop in the 90s that didn't have some affinity for the hieroglyphics. It was just something about them that, you know, they really just changed the game. Just, I mean, their rhyme style, how they, how their crew, their crew ethic, which they still have to this day, amazes me most people can't even stay together you know and they've been together for over 20 years you know what i'm saying and and in most of their cases all their lives because they went to school together you know what i'm saying so so for me casual that was just oh that was a highlight that was such a highlight and he um i don't know the kind of beats i was in at that time was a little bit more gritty and that's the ones i sent him and he liked them so i kept making more of them you know, and, and it just, it really worked because he was so, um, God, he just, he could rhyme, man. He is, he's one of my, that's one of my favorite projects. That dude is incredible. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's definitely one, it's one of my favorites from you. Top three, at least, has to be. Don't. Has to be. Um, is that you singing on um, Give Respect? Um, yeah, that is me. <laughs> Yo, I forgot. Yeah, it's me. I um I sing a lot, man. I, I sing a lot. I just don't tell people I do it, but I sing a lot. Middle child told me I can hold a note. So ever since then I've been kind of <laughs> you know, just a little piece if I can add it. My favorite songs from you, and I think again it's it, like Brown Skin Lady, that song yeah. just has a whole new meaning today. Like yep. it just takes a whole new whole new life of its own. 
Before we wrap up, though, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I, I, I reached out to some of my producer friends and I said, listen, I'm interviewing Jay Rawls. You, you, you producers, you technical guys, um, send me some questions that I can ask, ask him. I'm not going to keep you too much longer. But um, my man Soul Seas from Switzerland, he hit me with a question. He said, since, since you've been producing beats for more than two decades, he'd want to know what are some of the major lessons you've learned in terms of producing now? I know you've probably learned a lot, so you just need to hit me with one or two. Because two decades is a long time. What are some of the what are two what are one or two of the biggest lessons you learned? I mean, you know, I, I don't even know what if they're lessons. Just you learn people. You learn um, how to how to work with people. I, I I mean, I know how to get the best out of people because I've seen all kinds of different types. I know when I'm gonna get like a um, like a Dominique Larue who comes in here and has everything already ready. Like she can do the whole song in less than 20 minutes and be gone. She's everything, man. LaRue can rhyme. She's dope. And that's part of the reason why that heresy was kind of special, you know, with Moni Love and all that, man. Like it's it's just dealing with different MCs and singers. What I learned was one of the main things I learned is you got to kind of let them be them, but you got to help them kind of finish the song. Some people, you don't have to do that, but some you do because you know, you'll be working forever and you won't get any, any completed products. <laughs> I know that all too well. Imperial from Cambridge, UK, he's asked, um, it's probably been covered in other interviews, but was there ever a sense that when Black Star released their albums, did you know prior how special it was? Um, no, but I knew that, that you know, you got to realize the Fortified Live Reflection Eternal 12-inch had come out and so did Most Deaf, if you can hunt, you can hear with Universal Magnetic. Both of those sold like 50,000 copies each, just the 12 inches. So we knew they had a following. We knew there was something special. Um, and they was two of my favorite MCs, like period. And, and the majority of the world hadn't heard them yet. So I knew it was special, but I didn't know what it would be. And as the album was being created, I had, you know, I was in the studio for, you know, most of the high tech stuff for the uh, 88 keys. Um, but I hadn't heard the geology. I hadn't heard the, um, I hadn't heard the, the beat minor. So um, I heard some of the Sean, Sean J stuff, but not all of it. So it was, once I heard it all together, I was like, Ooh, okay, this, this is going to be a problem. People going to love this. Okay. All right. So John, my man, so John, I think I can't remember where he's from, but he's in the U S he sent me three questions, but I'm only going to ask one. He said, what are your current weapons of choice in relation to hardware, software, etc.? Ha! This is funny. It's funny he asked this because people always kind of tease me. But I'm still using the Insonic ASR-10. That's my weapon of choice. Now, sometimes I'll get on the SP-404 or I'll mess with the MPC-2000. But I don't really use none of the, the software. I don't, I don't click beats. I make beats. I don't really click them. I make them. So, and that, that's part of my old schoolness, you know. But I dump everything into Pro Tools, and then I, I I fix it up, compress, EQ. So, so Pro Tools and the ASR10 are my main weapons of choice, and they probably will be for a while. Let's wrap this up. What can we look forward to from J Rules in 2020, 2021, or once this whole COVID fungus has left us? Right. Well, I just finished the album with um, L.O. Kush out of Jersey. That that dropped, so check that out. Um, I got the uh, um, I got an album coming with uh, DJ Redmatic from the world famous Beat Junkies. 
Um, I got an album coming with DJ Center from Brooklyn, New York, which is going to be a Brazilian album, um, like Brazilian house. Like just, it's it's going to be different. It's, I mean, you know, I'm always changing the game. This is not, this is not the respect game or, or respect flames beats. It's definitely different, and I think you know, but it's still soulful. You know how I do, right? Um, expect me doing more, a lot more in education. John Robinson and I are working on podcasts, the Youth Culture Power podcast that we're going to start putting out there, um, uh, doing more writing. I'm writing a couple of articles right now. So for the world of education, flexing my PhD muscles. <laughs> um, so, you know, music and education, there's a lot more of that. That's what's coming from me. And that's probably, that's what I'm going to do until I die, man. More music, more education stuff. I think you've just given me the, uh, the title for this podcast episode, more music, more education. Where can we find you on the socials? Let our people know. Um, and make sure you yes. plug the band camp because I noticed that you've put a whole bunch of stuff up there. Yes, I really have tried to do that. Um, at JRawls82 is Twitter and Instagram. Um, at Polar ENT LLC is, uh, is the name of my company. And that's Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, Polar ENT LLC.bandcamp.com. That's where you can get all the pro- projects. But Easiest is just www.polarentllc.com. So you can go there and you can connect everything. You can email me. I'll get back to you. Um, you know, just check out the music and check out the, the, the stuff that's going on. There's a lot of new music on the band camp. So definitely check that out. Brother, I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to chop it up with me. Like I said, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, Rox, Roxy loves, um, what's, what's this? far away from me that's her oh, yeah yeah so um yeah like i said big big part of our soundtrack to our relationship we appreciate you and once the once the fungus has left us who knows man we might have to come out to columbus and jam with you oh sounds good man just let me know yeah we'll do that we'll do that appreciate it sounds good man y'all hold it down i appreciate y'all love the rocks y'all hold it down and um yo i appreciate the interview I really hope you enjoyed the interview. And once again, thanks to Jay Rawls for taking time out to join the Breaking Atoms podcast. Before we close, I just want to remind you that you should subscribe to the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and there's a whole bunch of other networks we're on. Um, I think Overcast, Spreaker, TuneIn, and there's a, there's a whole list of them. I can't remember them all now, but wherever you are on the internet or on the socials, you can find us. And yes, we are on the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Break the Atoms. I'll be back next week. I don't know who's going to be on the show. To be honest with you, I am completely winging this and I'm taking it each day as it comes. But we'll definitely be back next week with more hip-hop conversation, with some unique perspectives, more jokes, and more insight. Thanks for listening. Peace.